Welcome to Passage to Wonderland, literary passages to complete your day. It is the first century AD in Britain, a time of Druids and pagan traditions. This is the story of a mother and daughter and the formidable challenges they face as their ancient way of survival is threatened by a new world order. In this excerpt from Daughter of Black Lake by Kathy Marie Buchanan, a girl named Devout comes of age. Devout was a maiden of 13, wandering the woodland at the northern boundary of the clearing at Black Lake. She felt the sun reaching through her skin cape and her woolen dress as she walked, gaze sweeping the curled leaves, twigs, and fallen branches of the woodland floor. She bristled with anticipation. Now that she had begun to bleed, that very evening she would join the rest of the youths eligible to take mates in celebrating the Feast of Purification. Together, they would mark the advent of a new season, and in doing so, leave behind the cold, bitter season called fallow, and welcome the slow thaw of the season called hope. At such a promising juncture, Black Lake's boys offered trinkets to the maidens. With a polished stone or an opalescent shell, a boy made known his desire to take a particular maiden as his mate, and with that gift accepted, and then a witness declaration, a maiden cast her lot. Devout told herself not to be selfish, not to set her heart on holding in her cup palms evidence of a boy's yearning. It was her first feast of purification, and the possibility of a mate remained as unfathomable as the distant sea. Still, the idea of a trinket, of being singled out, of wide eyes and maidens gushing that she had drawn affection, all of it glinted like a lure before a fish. She stooped to peer beneath a bush, looking for the bluish-purple petals of the sweet violet she had come into the woodland to collect. The flower held strong magic. A draft strained from a stew of its boiled flowers brought sleep to those who lay awake. A syrup of that draft mixed with honey, soothed a sore throat. A poultice of the leaves relieved swellings and drew the redness from an eye. She touched her lips, then the earth. Blessings of Mother Earth, she said. Mother Earth would come that night, and in Devout's mind's eye, she pictured her arrival, imagining it much like the mist rolling in from the bog. Mother Earth would glide into the clearing, permeate the clutch of roundhouses, and in doing so, chase away vermin, disease, wickedness. The cleansing put the bog-dwellers at ease. Though the Feast of Purification came at a time when the days were growing longer, still night ruled. Tossing amid the tangle of woven blankets, furs, and skins, after a day too short to have grown tired, Worry crept in. Would the stores of salted meat, hard cheese, and grain last? Was there enough fodder left for the sheep? Had slaughtering all but a single cock been a mistake 
Were the ewes' bellies hanging sufficiently low? Were their teats adequately plump? But with Mother Earth's visit, the ewes would lamb well, perhaps even produce a set of twins. Their milk would come in. Stinging nettle leaves would unfurl, ready for the cauldron, while the stores still held enough oats to thicken the broth. The cough that had plagued a newborn for two moons would disappear. The bog dwellers would begin hope, that season of birthing, sowing, and anticipation, free of worry and disease, purified. As she searched for sweet violet, devout thought of the wild boar that a bog dweller called Young Hunter had slain. He had been so arrogant on his return to Black Lake, calling out for men to help haul the carcass recounting how he had tracked the boar three days, but never once pausing his story to give Mother Earth the praise she was due. Even so, devout salivated. This fallow, like almost every other, bellies had seldom been full. In preparation for the evening, devout and the other maidens would bathe and comb out their hair and leave it unbound to show their purity and youth and clasp over their shoulders woolen dresses that smelled of the breeze rather than unwashed flesh. Then they would call at each roundhouse in the clearing, collecting offerings of honey and wheaten beer and bread still warm from the griddle. Last, they would stop at the largest of the roundhouses and find, above the fire pit's lapping flames, the expertly roasted boar. The girls would set aside part of their hall, an old custom staunchly followed by the bog dwellers, and not only on so hallowed a night. Of all they reaped, they returned a third to Mother Earth, payment for taking what belonged to her. And then, fingers slick with grease, they would swallow pork and bread and wheat and beer until their bellies grew taut. Eventually, the boys would come rattle the barred door, and demand to be let in for the dancing and merrymaking that would last until daybreak. She heard the snap of a branch behind her and whipped around to see a boy a year older than she was. Young Smith, she said. Of course she knew him. Only three dozen of the bog dwellers were youths, and he was a tradesman, one of the high-ranking Smith clan, 34 strong, and easily the largest and most prosperous at Black Lake. He was the youngest of six brothers, born after a gap of six years, and the only brother not yet joined in union with a mate. His clan's roundhouse, where they would celebrate that night, measured twice the breadth of any other. Inside, the low benches and sleeping pallets were heaped in skins and furs and the shelves teemed with flagons and serving platters. His father, Old Smith, supplied the bulk of the accompaniments for the bog-dwellers' feasts. He fed and clothed a pair of orphan hands, an old woman without kin, and the family of a man crushed when an elm was felled. His wealth and generosity had established him as the uncontested first man at Black Lake. And as such, he decided when the fields would be sowed and reaped, when the stores of grain and roots would be rationed, when an ox would be replaced or a ewe slaughtered 
and offered to the gods. Young Smith was already the tallest among the brothers, and though his bulk had yet to catch his height, his broad shoulders foretold the strength that would one day assist him in his clan's forge. There was talk, too, that his father entrusted him alone with the most delicate bits of ironwork, that he accompanied his father more so than his brothers as he inspected the fields or adjudicated the bog-dweller's grievances. He was a boy much discussed among Black Lake's maidens, his assured future, also his muscled shoulders and forearms, his pleasing face. Devout took in his tentative mouth, his uncertain eyes, thick-lashed as a doze. She could not claim friendship. She was a hand, and the hands and the tradesmen clans held themselves apart at Black Lake. Young Smith seldom spoke to her more than a few words, called from the low-walled forge where he worked alongside his kin. Usually, fine day, or the wheat looks promising. Though once she had wondered if he had said, the hearth is ablaze here, if you're... before his voice trailed away. She had given little thought to him as other than a blacksmith of burgeoning skill. He ranked far above her, beyond her reach, a circumstance that was perhaps unfair given her usefulness as apprentice healer at Black Lake. And there was her piety, too. She bit her lip, as she sometimes did at those moments when she recognized herself as prideful. Mother Earth expected humility. I made something for you, he said now. He held out his hand, and she saw a packet of folded leather about the size of a walnut. A blacksmith, a tradesmith such as he, was offering a gift to a hand on this particular day? She took the packet. She unfolded the leather and into the bowl of her palm slipped a gleaming silver amulet strung through with a loop of gut. She drew a finger over the raised detail of the arms of the Mother Earth's cross at the amulet's center. She touched the outer ring. How had he accomplished the detail? Swirled tendrils as delicate and intricate as a fern, a spider's web, a damselfly's gossamer wings. Not in nature, not in all the clearing, woodland, or bog had she seen the handiwork surpassed. Never had she conceived that other than Mother Earth was capable of such beauty. Though it was small, the amulet weighed mightily on her palm. Young Smith, she whispered, and raised her lit face to his. It's magnificent. He held her gaze, and heat rose through her. She put her fingers to her lips, and then to the earth, that familiar gesture, giving herself time. He had followed her to the woodland, to give the amulet to her. But why not wait until the feast? Was he wary of how the gift might be received? Could so regarded a tradesman be as unsure of himself as that? She teetered on the edge of telling him that she had never imagined such perfection. And, truthfully, the amulet did bring grace to mind, otherworldliness, 
But then it occurred to her that perhaps he was ashamed of his fondness for a hand and could not bear the thought of an audience. But if that was so, why give her the amulet at all? Why not give it to Reddish, who was the prize of the hunter clan, the tradesman clan that ranked second only to the smiths at Black Lake? Reddish, who had milky skin and hair that glinted sunshine as spellbinding as fire. Reddish, who possessed a full belly and a doting father, an endless ability to attract the favor of the gods. Reddish, who last feast of purification was given a comb carved from ash and etched with prettily arched ferns by one of the carpenter brothers. She had returned the comb and made a habit of lingering at young Smith's forge, her neck arched in laughter, her throat exposed. Devout closed her fingers over the gleaming bit of silver. She deserved the cross more than Reddish. Reddish did not care about the magic of Mother Earth's roots and leaves and blooms. More than once, Devout had watched as Reddish stooped in tribute, her fingertips not quite grazing the earth at her feet, no look of reverence on her face. Devout brought the fist clutching the amulet to her lips. With that gesture, young Smith grew bold and said, I thought you could wear it tonight, while you collect for the feast. She held the amulet against the hollow at the base of her neck. Let me show you, he said. The loop of gut was doubled in such a way that by sliding the knots, it could be expanded to twice its size. He slipped the loop over her head and adjusted the knots so that the amulet hung at her throat. She imagined going from roundhouse to roundhouse as she collected for the evening's feast, the amulet in plain view on her neck. At each door, eyes would fall to the gleaming silver, and then a little smile would show what the matriarch, handing over a clay flagon of wheat and beer, had figured out. Devout, a hand, had drawn the attentions of young Smith. He had recognized her piety, her skill, her place as apprentice healer, and chosen her above any other maiden at Black Lake. Years pass, and Devout's community is a changed place. Famine has brought struggle and foreigners with military might have arrived at their doorstep to change their world forever. But Devout now has a daughter with an extraordinary gift, and it's up to her to save her family and community. Today's passage was from Daughter of Black Lake by the New York Times bestselling author Kathy Marie Buchanan. It's published by HarperCollins. Thank you for listening to Passage to Wonderland. Until next time, rest easy.